Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and today it's time for our monthly mailbag episode on the Smart Money Mama Show, where we answer questions directly from listeners like you. Today, we're diving into five questions on investing in retirement. This is one of my favorite topics since I get to go back to my roots a bit and explain things that I know many people find confusing. As a reminder, we source questions for these episodes from our free Mamas Talk Money community on Facebook, which we'd love to have you join. If you have a question you'd love to hear us tackle, be sure to submit it for next month's episode. Also, for an overview of this month's questions, links to resources mentioned, including the Facebook group, and to download your free Money Mama's Guide to Investing, head over to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 95. All right, all right, let's get Lauren, the integrator slash chief grilleter officer at Smart Money Mamas on the show and dive into your questions. Lauren, how are you doing today? I am doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. How is YNAB going for you in month two of 2021? It's going all right. My my overhaul I've been working on is I'm still in the middle of that, but I got everything reset up and it's looking pretty. And now I just need to go in and actually use it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. We had somebody in the Motivated Mama Society recently talk about how like she just got really stuck and finally was like, I just have to hit fresh start. And I think that that's a good reminder as we go into this episode too of like, it's okay to have to take a step back and fix things, right? And move forward. My husband and I did a fresh start at the beginning of 2021 just because we wanted to reallocate where our money was going and it gave us an opportunity to kind of think through where all our dollars were going. So I'm glad that you're on track uh, with YNAB this year. And I also, speaking of the Motivated Mama Society, we opened the Motivated Mama Scholarship Fund last week. And that was the coolest experience because we had moms in the community who have progressed a little bit in their money journey and want to reach back. And they wanted to sponsor other moms who couldn't currently afford it to come in and really work on their money goals. And so you and I talked about it and we decided that we were going to start this scholarship fund. I was going to seed it with five three-month scholarships. And then we'd match as a company 100% any contributions that were made. And in the first two days, we saw over $500 of donations come in, which is I think 11 more three-month scholarships. It's just so cool. So amazing. I was honestly floored. Like I kind of thought it would be one of those things where we put the link out. Maybe the one or two people that had really asked about it would jump right on it. And then it it would kind of grow over time. Mm -hmm. But to to see it happen that fast was – it was kind of humbling Like that they are in there and learning so much and that it's that important to them that they want to make sure someone else can experience it too, you know? I totally agree. We had almost 20 different people contribute, which was really cool in those first two days. And we set it up so that people could donate as little as $2. So there's a couple people you and I both know were earlier in their money journeys who came in and contributed $5. And that was just fantastic that they're already thinking about the community as a whole and like how families handle money. I'm I'm so, so honored. And we opened applications this week and we're picking the first set of 10 scholarship recipients for March. So anyone who's listening who is interested in receiving a scholarship to Motivated Mama Society, we'll have the link to the show notes um, in the show notes of this episode for you to apply. That's amazing. I cannot wait. All right, Lauren, let's get into this month's mailbag. Our first question comes from Kelly, who asks, what is the recommended percentage to save for retirement? Should you have a Roth IRA in addition to a 401k? We get this question all the time around the percentage to save for retirement. And I think it's one of those things that comes back to, it depends, like every, (laughs) we say this every month on the mailbag episode, 
And I think what you'll see, Kelly, is if like you Googled this or you looked it up, you'll see anywhere from 10 to 20%. 15% has kind of been where people land on recommended amounts to save for retirement. The problem with that number is it doesn't take into account how much money you make, what your lifestyle wants to look at in retirement. Most importantly, it doesn't look at how old you are. So if you're 45, saving 10 to 15% of your income for retirement and you're just getting started, it's not going to be enough because you've got a lot of catching up to do. And so you have to think differently about what's your retirement really going to look like? What do you want to do? And then how much do you need to save? You could theoretically have to look at, you know, buckling down and saving 30, 35% of your income towards retirement, which I know is a really big number. If you're 20, maybe 10 to 15% is plenty, right? Because you're starting early, you're going to have the power of compound growth. And so Kelly, without knowing your full history, I'd say we have a we actually have a calculator on the Smart Money Mama's site, which lets you put in your income, how much you currently have saved, your expected investment returns. And that is already put in at like 7%, which would be fairly average. But if you want to shift it, you can. And it'll spit out how much you should be saving for retirement based on your situation. It's an estimate, but it's a, a good place to start that's a little bit more customized. But I would come back to kind of 5, 10 to 15% up to 20 is what gets recommended most often as a blanket statement, but I would go find something unique to your situation. That's great advice. I also love that you always talk about you have to kind of know what you picture your retirement looking like. Is it Emily Guy Birkin's like good, better, best? Is that her yeah. scenario? That really spoke to me the first time that I heard it. And so when I actually get to doing this and I sit down and think about it, like that is the first thing I want to do. Like, okay, what's my worst case scenario? What's my best case scenario? And then actually have something tangible to plan around. And that kind of makes it easier for me to visualize. Yeah, we actually have a whole masterclass from Emily in the Motivated Mama Society that breaks down how to set up your good, better, best. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, what we mean is what's the least amount you could have to be happy in retirement, right? Like, you know, Lauren and I both love books. And so could we live in a low-cost apartment, walking distance to a good library and like with some nice restaurants around? And that would be, a you know, a comfortable retirement for us. Maybe not ideal. We're not traveling the way we want to, but we're happy, right? We're safe and we're happy. Medium would be, you know, we hit our goals. We did okay. We saved for a long time. And now we can do some of the things we want to do. We can travel. We can take vacation. Maybe we can move, live closer to our families, whatever it is. And then that high end, the, the best one I love calling the high roller retirement, which is like, you've done really well. You buckled down, <laughs> you saved, and now you can really do whatever you want to do in retirement. And so having those three targets, and Emily walks you through how to really think about this and price this out in the, that masterclass within the society. But the benefit of it is that you can say, even in lean years, when you maybe can't save 20% for retirement, you can still look at your goals and be like, okay, at least I'm still hitting my good number. I'm still saving enough to know that I'm going to be okay. And there's a lot of comfort that comes in that for sure. All I could think about while you were talking about the library was like, so in the high roller situation, Chelsea builds a giant library and we invite all our friends like we always talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. Guys, I have a Pinterest board about the library that we are someday going to build in our dream house and it's it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. But Kelly had a second part of her question, which is, should I have a Roth IRA in addition to a 401k? Roth IRAs work differently from 401ks, as you probably know, Kelly, which is that Roth IRA funds go in after taxes. So you don't get a tax benefit this year for putting the money in. But when you withdraw it in retirement, there's no capital gains tax, there's no income tax. And so that money is just yours to use as you want in retirement. There's some other differences as well, but that's one of the biggest ones. 
The reason a lot of people recommend you have a Roth IRA in addition to a 401k is that you get to choose who your Roth IRA provider is. You can go to a Vanguard, a Fidelity, an Elevest, and invest directly with them, which often means lower fees than your 401k provider. If you have a really good 401k provider, you might not, it might not matter, but ask about the management fees and look at your fund expense ratios, which is basically the cost to be invested in that fund on an ongoing basis. And you might have opportunities to invest at lower fees with an IRA. So if you want to make it a little bit complicated, what I would recommend is get the full match from your 401k provider. So if you put in 3% and they match 3%, make sure you've maxed that out. You've put in 3%. Then invest in your Roth IRA until you max that out. That's a $6,000 a year max. And then if you still have more that you want to invest for retirement, you're not yet hitting that recommended percentage, then start adding money to your 401k. All that being said, if that kind of back and forth isn't something you want to do, the math you want to do, increasing your contributions to your 401k, keeping it simple, staying invested consistently and in the biggest way possible, that's really your best bet. Amazing. Amazing advice. Every time you talk about something that I haven't done yet, I'm like, "Mm, I got to get going. (laughs) (laughs) Chelsea's going to use me to film a tutorial for you guys on how to set up an investment account. So... Yeah, we've had some questions in the Motivated Mama Society about how do we actually open these accounts and fund them properly. And so we have a couple members on our team, we won't name names besides Lauren, who have not yet set up their own IRAs. And so I am going to do it for them and record it. And then we're going to put them in the society so people can see how to open accounts at Vanguard and at Fidelity um, and potentially at one other at one other account. So it should be fun. Are you ready for the next question? I am. All right. This one comes from Court who I just love so much. And (laughs) I love this one because Court is in the Motivated Mama Society and it shows how much she's learning about investing. Her question is, I know we need to be invested in small caps, medium, and large caps. How do I know if I'm diversified into all three groups? I'm not doing this on my own because I have so much to learn, but I want to be sure I'm not just in the S&P 500. Look at Court using all these terms in her question, like, oh, amazing, all the snaps. So for those of you who don't know what the heck Court is talking about in this question, let's break it down for a second. So when we talk about the S&P 500, this is a collection of 500 of the largest companies that are available on the stock market in the United States. You can invest in pieces of all 500 of those by buying an index fund. So that's the basic. What she's saying with small cap, medium cap, and large cap is what they what they mean by it is the market cap of the stock. So if you took the stock price of a company and you multiplied it by the number of shares available, that's their market cap. That's their total market cap, okay? So large cap companies have a large market cap. They have a, they're big companies. They have a lot of value. They tend to be more mature companies, right? Medium cap, small cap, your market cap is getting smaller, your younger companies. um, And as you are younger companies, smaller companies, you have more risk, right? Because newer businesses, smaller businesses are more likely to face financial difficulty or more likely to go out of business. But there are some people who say that those companies also have way more growth potential than a more uh, mature company, a company like Amazon or Apple or Tesla. Tesla has kind of ruled us out this last year with with their returns in the last year. But other than that, you're not necessarily going to see Amazon stock like double overnight, right? Because there's unless they have some major development, 
You could see that happen with a small cap stock where they get some approval for some new technology and they absolutely explode. And so there are people, there are investors out there who recommend that you have a pool of small, medium, and large cap stock, like Court is saying she knows she needs to do. And I'm going to question this in a second, but that you want to have a mix of those three so that you get some of the higher return potential of small and medium-sized companies that you wouldn't necessarily get in large ones. The whether or not that actually is a benefit to you, Court, is not as clear, right? So when you do backtrack data, you like do backward regression on all different types of portfolios, which is you look at the historical data of small cap companies, big cap companies, large cap companies, and you compare it to what we talk about as a three fund portfolio. So having a total stock market index fund, a total bond market index fund, and maybe a total international stock index fund. The differences aren't that severe, mostly because the higher volatility of small cap and medium cap stocks mean that it pulls your overall return down a little bit. Now, they might outperform slightly, but it's not a big difference. So first of all, Court, ask yourself whether it's worth complicating your portfolio, because to do this, you're going to have to have more funds in your portfolio, and you're going to have to pay attention to what that asset allocation is within that. You say you're not doing it on your own. I know you have a financial advisor, um, but I still want you to understand it in case you reach a point where you want to do it yourself or you want to make sure you're keeping an eye on what your financial advisor is doing, right, that you understand what they're doing. If you want to do it, if you want to have a mix of small, medium, and large cap stocks, there's a couple ways to do it. One is simply buying a total stock market index fund instead of an S&P 500 fund because that is going to include all the available public companies in the United States. The reason that people who want you to do small and mid-cap wouldn't say that that's a solution is because an index fund is weighted by the size of the company. And so while you're going to own a piece of everything, you're going to own really teeny tiny pieces of the little companies. And so you still only, in that whole plot, you still only own a pretty small part of small and medium cap stocks. You own more than you would an S&P 500, which is just large cap, but you still don't own a lot. The other way to do it is to buy S&P 500, S&P 400 mid cap, which they have a separate index, which is 400 mid cap companies and what's called the Russell 2000 index, which is 2000 small cap companies. And to buy that in a mix that makes sense for you. So some people would say that they wanna buy 50% of their stock allocation in the S&P 500, 30% in the S&P 400 mid cap, and 20% in the Russell 2000. That's just an example. But then once again, you have to manage that that stays your asset allocation within your stock piece, And that your overall asset allocation, which is stocks versus bonds versus cash, also stays balanced. So it's just a little bit more to watch, but that's how you would do it if you wanted to do it, Court. Does that make sense? She's asking me because I'm making all (laughs) kinds of faces over here. (laughs) Um, You know, this is one of those things. I say it all the time. I read this question and was like, I don't even know what small, medium, and large caps are and felt super behind. And then you explain it. And I'm like, okay, right, 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 right. Like there are easy ways to do this or I can get more involved if I want to. I love that about all of your advice, but particularly when it comes to investing, it's nice to know that you can have more control if you want it. Absolutely. And I think that it's also important to remember how much of investing is made more complicated by the jargon. I love that court has the ability to ask the questions with the quote unquote correct terms now. But anytime you read something like this about investing and you start to feel overwhelmed and like it must be really complicated, take a moment and I would literally just like highlight the words you don't understand and Google them because small, medium, large caps, 
literally means small, medium, large companies, right? And we do like the investing market does this because they can profit off you not understanding what's going on. They can charge higher fees. They can act like this is some really big, complicated thing, but it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, So I love when we get to go in and really break it down by the terms. Yeah, because either you make what might be a mistake. It's not something that you actually wanted to do or like me, it just stunts you and you're like, mm-hmm. I, I can't do anything. So I don't understand that. And so like these questions, they get me so excited to know that people are asking them and moving forward with those things. Absolutely. All right. Before we answer our next few questions, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the smart money mama show possible. Mama, you want more, more money, time, peace, fulfillment, and joy to stop surviving and start thriving, to show your kids what it means to live fully. But you can't build a life you love without financial security, which means it's time for you to feel worthy of wealth and confident managing your money. The Motivated Mama Society is our monthly membership community where intelligent, driven moms come together to rewrite their money stories, connect with their biggest dreams, and build lasting wealth. With access to our five core foundations courses, monthly live masterclasses and Q&As, and a fantastic community of women who have your back through the ups and downs of life, you'll have what you need to create a life you love. If you're a mom who believes more is possible and you're ready for more money and more time for the things that matter most, the Motivated Mama Society is for you. Learn more at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash join. That's smartmoneymamas.com forward slash join. I can't wait to see you inside. You know, Lauren, I just want to take a moment and celebrate a win for a mama in the society. Emily shared on a recent Winning Wednesday post that she negotiated a higher settlement after a car accident without an attorney, and she got more than double what they initially offered and is now just waiting on a check. How amazing is that? What? That? I mean, I'm in shock. I'm super excited for you. And then I'm like, I could never do that. My favorite part about this is I actually kind of have that feeling too of like negotiating things is a little bit scary. But then she actually, Emily actually said, I never used to negotiate anything and I felt justified asking for more. Learning my worth is a huge bonus from the Motivated Mama Society and the Foundations courses. It's a direct quote from her. And I just think that having that confidence in yourself and having that feeling that like I can figure out the jargon that they're using, I can stand up and demand what I'm worth is such a powerful thing and that like it's probably not as hard as you think. And, and I know from talking to Emily Moore, this was a newer car. This was a, a car accident that was not her fault. She wanted to make sure she got the value back for the car that was, that was wrecked. And just calling and being persistent and sticking to it, it got her this huge benefit. I'm so happy for her. That is amazing. I'm so proud of you, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Great job, Emily, and great job to everybody in the society. I love reading everybody's Winning Wednesday posts every week with the little to big things that people are doing within the group. Our next question comes from Amanda, who says, my employer-sponsored 401k offers target date funds as an investing option. Do you recommend? Ah, so do you remember how we were just talking about how you can make this as simple or as complicated as you want? Oh, yeah. Target date retirement funds are making it as simple as possible, which is basically saying you buy one thing that is based on the year you expect to retire, and that fund will manage your stock, bond, and cash allocations 
in a way that matches what they predict your risk to be, right? So as you get closer to retirement, it naturally adds more bonds to your portfolio. It makes your your portfolio a little bit safer, a little bit more stable so that you have the money you need as retirement approaches. With this option, you don't have to pay attention to asset allocation. You don't have to pay attention to, you know, how things are moving around whether you know you need to go buy an extra thing or whatever. It's it's very simple. It's all in one. That being said, there's downsides to using an all-in-one resource. It's a great option, Amanda, for people who are new at this. And it's a great option for many, many people in general. The thing is that it is generally, those algorithms are generally built for men. They do not pay a lot of attention to women who have longer lifespans. They do not have a lot of pay a lot of attention to people who are out of the workforce, right? Moms, we take time off for kids. We are way more likely to take time off to care for elderly family members and things like that, which means we have to not only have our money last longer, but also earn us more because we have to make up for those years out of the workforce. What that means is for a lot of women, target date funds get too safe too fast. And by the time you're 65, they own a large swath of bonds, and then you don't have the growth that you need to last until you're potentially 90, 95 years old. And so for some people, target date funds are a really great place to start, but I would consider as you get older, potentially adding a piece that's just like a total stock market index fund to increase your risk a little bit over what the the target date retirement fund is offering you so that you have that long-term growth comfort. This all depends on your, you know, your family structure and how much you have saved and all of those things at, you know, we can't recommend exactly how much you should do, but it's something to keep in mind if all of your retirement funds are in target date funds. This might be slightly a rabbit hole question, but I'm constantly astonished that these things still exist, (laughs) but is that being the case, is there anyone out there that does like target date funds with women in mind? Is that a thing? So that's the whole basis of Elevest's investment company. Now they're a robo advisor, so they work a little bit differently. I don't think they do 401k management yet. And your employer would have to offer them for your 401k anyway, but for your IRAs, for your individual um, investment accounts, taxable investment accounts, you can use them. And their algorithms do build that and they do build that time off. And so their portfolios are slightly more aggressive than you would see at other robo-advisors and things like that. Because it's a robo-advisor, the fees are higher than doing it on your own. And so if you're interested, if you download our Money Mama's Guide to Investing, if you join the Motivated Mama Society, we will teach you kind of how to do that simply on your own with a two or three fund portfolio. But yeah, Elevest was created because so much of the financial markets have been based on men, specifically white men, for a very, very long time, right? Women being in the workforce, women investing is still a relatively new phenomenon. And so we haven't paid attention to wage gaps, wealth gaps, and and time out of the workforce to and how do we catch that up in retirement properly? For once in my life, I feel accomplished that I have an Elevest account. (laughs) 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 Excellent. Okay. Our next question is a little more controversial. Catherine asks, is Forex a real way to make money? Pros and cons. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. (laughs) Not going to rant as long as I did last month. Forex stands for foreign exchange. And this actually ties a little bit to the way we talked about cryptocurrency last month. We talked about the risk of trading currency and trading foreign exchange. So is foreign exchange a real way to make money? Sure. 
with a lot of caveats. There are whole funds, there are whole investment funds that's goal is to make money with foreign exchange trading. What does that look like? Well, if you wanted to go to Europe, a dollar in the US is currently worth a certain amount of euros, right? Anybody who's traveled internationally knows how this works. And that amount fluctuates over time. We've seen it with the euro, we see it with the Canadian dollar, we see it with the yen, right? How much a dollar is worth in the US versus other currencies, it changes over time. And so the way a foreign exchange trader would do is they would look and say, hey, I think the dollar is undervalued right now versus the euro. And so I'm going to buy a bunch of dollars, wait for the um, exchange ratio to go the way I think it should go, and then I will sell them for euros, right? They'll balance it out. This takes a lot of knowledge a lot of computing power because a lot of people who make money doing foreign exchange do it with very fast computers, very fast algorithm trading that is picking up micro inefficiencies in the market. And so somebody to sit at their computer and to do this on their own at home, not really something that works very well, especially considering that the foreign exchange market is complicated, right? When you think about anyone who's listening to this, who's trying to figure out how they would know that the dollar is undervalued to the Canadian dollar or to the Euro or to the yen. Yeah. It's about as complicated as you're feeling it is right now, right? Because it, it plays into global politics. It plays into interest rates around the world. It plays into all these different factors that are hard to predict, right? They're very, very difficult. And so when you when you go on Instagram or you go on social media and there's these people posting about like, I can help you make money today with Forex, most of that is a scam and a little bit of a pyramid scheme of like, if I get you to do it, you pay me to teach you how to do it. And mostly what I teach you is how to get other people to pay you to teach me how to do Forex. So when you see those posts, I would ignore them. There are better ways to make money as a side hustle than foreign exchange. I just don't want to write it off as a complete scam. I want you to understand that there are people out there, there are companies out there that do make money doing this, but it's incredibly risky. It takes a lot of knowledge. And the idea that somebody on social media can teach you, on TikTok can teach you how to do foreign exchange trading is actually kind of ridiculous. I'm sure so many people appreciate that explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my favorite answers. Like some people are good at this. But probably you should spend your time doing something else. (laughs) (laughs) And I also want to make it clear that, like, I'm not saying that you're not smart enough to do this. And anyone who does this isn't even doing it on their own, right? Like we're talking, like I was saying, it's computing power, it's teams, it's global research resources that are, like, sending you reports on where interest rates are moving and things like that. There's just a lot else going on, support to make that happen. And even with these things that people pitch it as a side hustle – I'd rather you start an Etsy printable shop. I'd rather you start freelance writing. It will probably be more profitable to you and more have more growth than whatever this is that they're trying to sell you. And for most of our community and our listeners that we come across, those things probably have a lot more meaning to them too, which means you're going to stick to them, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Are you ready for our last question? I am. All right. This one is from Evelyn who says, 
Is it necessary for each spouse to have a retirement account? The reason I ask is my employer offers a 401k with a 4% match and pays the yearly fees, while my husband is a teacher and his employer offers a 403b with no match, and he has to pay the maintenance fees. My thinking is it might be better to max out my 401k yearly contribution for the both of us to use in retirement, but maybe there's some rules or general advice that goes against that. We don't currently make enough that would allow for both of us to max out both accounts if that's relevant. Great question, Evelyn. I think in most cases, it doesn't matter if you both have an account, right? Especially if you file taxes jointly, you're both going to get the same tax deduction if you were maxing out your account or putting half in each account. And we've talked a lot on this show and we have content on the site if you haven't seen it before about how 403Bs are less regulated than 401Ks. It means that they have large larger fees, and less investing options typically. And so what we would say is generally, yeah, that's fine. Max your account. What I want you to keep in mind is, one, what are the divorce rules in your state? And so in many states in the uni- in the U.S., you will split any retirement account, no matter whose name is on that account, 50-50. You will completely split assets 50-50. That is not the case in all states. In some places, it depends on the name on the account when it comes to retirement accounts. And so look into that. I know you and your husband's relationship is probably very, very stable, but it's something I want you to think about. Um, And in this case, it's all going in your name. But I hear it a lot where it goes the other way, where the husband is doing all the investing in the 401k and the wife doesn't have her own account. And that's fine if they're in a state where if something happened, she would get half of that. It's much more risky if she wouldn't, right? If she's going to end up way behind in retirement because she doesn't have enough saved. The other benefit, and you're not currently in this place, so it doesn't really matter, but the other benefit is the additional amount that you could deduct off your taxes. So if you could contribute the full amount and he could contribute another 5K, that's 5K of tax benefits, that's 5K of tax deferred growth, that's all really great things. But otherwise, if you wanna just pick one, pick one with the lower fees and go with it, that's fantastic. And it's really great that you thought about what the match looks like, what the fees look like, and what the maintenance fees look like, right? Because even people who are kind of new to this they start to learn about expense ratios, which is the fee for the actual fund that you own, but they forget that 401ks often have annual maintenance fees on top of that that aren't always very clearly disclosed. So for mamas who are listening to this, make sure you ask some questions. You can call your 401k provider or you can even ask HR and say, hey, what are the annual maintenance fees on our 401k accounts? Some of them are dollar amounts. Some of them are like 50 bucks a year. And some of them are percentage of assets. And that's going to be a more significant hit to your account over time, right? And so pay attention to those things. But yeah, Evelyn, um, as long as you're in a state where that gets split 50-50, I would say that's a great strategy to go with. I'm so glad you covered the divorce question because that was the first thing I thought of is like, okay, I'm sure everything is fine, but like, what is the worst case scenario? (laughs) And that is something I think we always need to think about, unfortunately. And it's really hard for people who are in happy relationships Mm -hmm. or who are currently trying to make things work and they feel like asking those questions is like betting against their relationship, right? We hear this with prenups a lot too or postnups. But the thing is, we have to protect ourselves because we don't know what's going to happen. And so, you know, one of the conversations I was having recently with another financial educator was like, they use the, what if somebody had a massive brain injury, right? Like, what if your husband got hit over the head and his whole personality changed and he was just being a different person? Like, we don't know what's going to happen. And so we need to protect both sides. It's actually conversations Jeremiah and I have had at length when he decided to be a stay-at-home dad. It's like, okay, 
if something happens to me or something happens to us and we don't want to be together anymore, how do we make sure that you maintain your ability to earn money, that you maintain feeling financially secure? And that would happen, you know, with stay-at-home mom relationships too. I want all moms who are stay-at-home moms listening to this to do that as well. It's just a smart thing to do for you and your family. And it was actually Tanya Hester who wrote Work Optional. And she was, is the host of the Fair Sense podcast, has said before, I never want a situation where I feel like my partner is staying with me because they financially have to. And as soon as I, like, because they're financially independent. So they considered this like two levels of financial independence. There was financial independent of them as a couple. And then the level of financial independence where if they got divorced, they would both continue to be financially independent, And she, which is a crazy thing and is not something most, <laughs> most families get to experience. But to her, she was like, it was this whole new opening of we are choosing to be together. Like we're not stuck together. There is no financial or lifestyle reason. It's just that we're choosing to be together. And so think about it that way too, of like, if you're both protecting yourselves, you are betting on your relationship. You're not <laughs> saying I'm shackling myself to somebody. You are giving yourself options and still choosing to stay with that person, which I think is an even more powerful choice. I think it's leaps and bounds more powerful. You know what I mean? Like, and whenever you talk about the, well, what if they had a brain injury story? Because we've heard that a few times that that has actually been a couple of people's stories. And I always reverse it in my head. Like, okay, how I feel about you right now, what if I had the brain injury and mm. I was horrible to you? My current self would want to make sure that you were okay. You know what I mean? So I definitely want that in reverse for me. <laughs> Absolutely. And Emma Johnson, who we had on the podcast last year, who runs Wealthy Single Mommy, that is the exact situation that happened with her and her husband where he did, he was on um, on a job and he fell and he had a, a brain injury and they worked on it for a long time, but it just, it couldn't work anymore. They had, they ended up getting divorced. And so these things happen. It's just worth thinking about. But yeah, Emma, Evelyn, we don't need to go into a whole divorce conversation on your question. I don't think it's that complicated for you, uh, but it is always good things to think about. Yes, it definitely like not not to bring it on on a negative side at all, but in in the spirit of asking like, is this actually a safe thing to do? There, there you go. There's all the info. <laughs> 100%. Oh my goodness. This was so much fun to chat investing today. Hopefully people got some answers about their retirement accounts and their different options for investing. And we'll talk about, maybe we'll talk about some non-investing stuff in March's mailbag. Send us some good stuff, guys. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Lauren, thank you so much for hanging out. And mamas, as we mentioned at the top of the show, feel free to send me your questions anytime via our voicemail at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail on social media. You can tag me on Instagram at smartmoneymamas or in our Mamas Talk Money free Facebook group. You can see an overview of today's questions with links to the articles and resources we mentioned, as well as download your free Money Mamas Guide to Investing in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 95. And Mamas, the Money Mamas Guide to Investing is free, and it's like 25-page guide that talks you through why you should invest, how you should get started, what all these things, these terms, stocks and bonds and asset allocation, what all those things mean. So you absolutely want to go check that out. My friend, thank you again for listening to the Smart Money Mama Show. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends. I truly appreciate it. Keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time. 